Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, Executive Director of EdSource. After years of prioritizing English-only classes for students who speak other languages at home, California is now pushing to expand bilingual programs for students. Proposition 227, which voters passed in 1998 and then repealed in 2016, has had a lasting effect on California. It required that English learners be taught in English-only classrooms unless parents signed a waiver. Now, the state has a huge hurdle. It needs more bilingual teachers. The legislature is considering a bill that would help increase the number of professors for bilingual teaching credential programs. But some say we need to start looking beyond colleges and universities. To address the thousands of teachers that we need, we just simply need to go to the communities. We need to go to the schools. Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stabley. Alejandra Silva grew up bilingual. Her parents are from Mexico and spoke Spanish at home. She learned English in school. But she didn't necessarily feel like her bilingualism was something good. I saw it as a disadvantage, honestly, and I always was self-conscious about my accent. When she was in sixth grade, she wanted to take German as an elective. But then she found out she couldn't because she had to spend that time in an English language development class. And oh my gosh, was I angry at the fact that I was bilingual because that kept me from learning another language. Alejandra knew she wanted to be a teacher ever since fifth grade. When she got to college, she started working toward that dream. But she didn't think she wanted to get a bilingual authorization. That's like a specialized credential for bilingual education. Because it meant more work. And she already had a lot on her plate. She was working as an aide for speech therapy in a school district. She had two young children. And it had already taken her five years to get through community college before transferring to a four-year college for a bachelor's degree. So at this point, I was just trying to finish my credential. So adding any more work was not an option for me. Then Alejandra heard about a grant to help school staff like her become teachers. And she jumped at the chance. She entered a program offered by Butte County Office of Education called Future Educator Support. It works with funding from the state for classified employees to become teachers. The money helped her continue her education, pay for books, but it was much more than just the money. They helped her figure out all the next steps she needed to get her credential. They gave her support classes, study sessions, helped her prepare for tests, and they told her about an online program at San Diego State University that prepares teachers for dual language education. She enrolled, and that's when Alejandra changed her mind about being bilingual and bicultural even about her own accent. There are some words that I will just never learn how to pronounce, but that's okay. Now I'm totally like, I love hearing accents because it speaks so much of who you are or where you come from, or it simply tells that you know more than one language. So in part, thanks to this program, my perspective of bilingualism and biculturalism completely changed. Alejandra got her credential and her bilingual authorization, and she's now finishing up her second year teaching second grade in a dual language program in Escondido Union School District. She loves it. The demographics here are, I want to say, like 90% Hispanic. So they tell me all these things and I can relate to them like, oh, I was there. Oh, yeah, I remember as a kid, like something similar like that happened to me or you're a first generation American student. So am I. My parents come from Mexico. 
those little things that they're like, oh, Miss Silva, your your parents are from Mexico too? Those little things that we can relate. She's trying to help her students be proud of being bilingual from a young age. I try to instill that appreciation to my kiddos since the beginning. So like recently we had a, we were doing a research project. It was in English. We were researching about a, a natural landmark created by erosion. I was walking them through using this platform to look up articles. And we found a few, not a lot. And I, so I told them like, you know what? The good thing is that we're bilingual. So let's move our research in Spanish. Ultimately, research is research, and thankfully, we understand both languages. So let's see what we find in Spanish. We found a few more articles, not a significant amount, but still, the fact that I was able to have them see, like, wow, look at us. We have two avenues to pick from because we're bilingual, because we have these two languages under our belt. So I, I really try to make it so they can see now that it's not a disadvantage as I saw it for many years. This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. I'm Zadie Stavely. This week, looking in our own backyards for bilingual teachers. California needs a lot more bilingual teachers. After Prop 227 passed in 1998, the state required English learners to be taught in English-only classrooms, unless their parents signed a waiver. As a result, many colleges stopped offering bilingual credentials. In 2016, voters repealed Prop 227, and California is trying to grow the number of bilingual programs because we know that both students who speak English at home and those who speak other languages at home can benefit from programs that teach them two languages. But we don't have enough teachers to fill those programs. We traditionally have gone to universities. We go to the university, to the community college, we go to the high school. And of course, those are great places where we could find some students. But to address the thousands of teachers that we need, we just simply need to go to the communities. We need to go to the schools. That's Guillermo Castillo. He's the director of Future Educator Support, the program that helped Alejandra Silva become a bilingual teacher. I wrote about this for EdSource. And I found out there are a lot of Alejandra Silvas out there. People who are working in education but don't have a teaching credential. Bus drivers, cafeteria workers, library workers, attendance clerks, teachers' aides. Guillermo was meeting them all over in his work. I would bump into a lot of folks that had a dream to become a teacher, but for a variety of reasons, financial and otherwise, just weren't able to attain it, but they were had great dispositions and had the, all the qualities to be an effective teacher, just didn't have the opportunity to get that credential. So Guillermo decided to start this program. And right away, he found out that a lot of these people were actually closer to a teaching credential than they realized. I was really surprised the amount of people that were working in classified roles with degrees, which meant that they were just one year uh, two semesters away from becoming a teacher. And that really, honestly, surprised me. I, I thought the journey was going to be, I need to get these folks into an undergraduate program. It's going to be, you know, four, five, six, seven years because they can't go full time. But to realize that there's so many people out there that have degrees 
but the credential was just the elusive part that they couldn't complete. That, that was really surprising for me. A lot of the folks working in schools are from the community. They're often bilingual and bicultural. So they have gifts that make them great bilingual teachers. But like Alejandra, they may not have thought about going into bilingual education. A professor at CSU Fullerton, Guadalupe Diaz Lara, told me that a lot of her students want to be teachers, and most are bilingual in Spanish and English, but they're not aware of the possibility of getting a bilingual credential or working in bilingual education. And she thinks that's partly because they attended English-only programs themselves during the era of Prop 227. Holly Harding works with Guillermo. She says working in rural Northern California schools, she saw the need for more teachers who speak students' languages firsthand. We have a predominantly white monolingual workforce here, teachers and administrators included. And yet, if you look at the populations of some of our communities and some of our schools, they can be, you know, 30 to 40 to 50 percent Um, second language learners, and we are not taking advantage of the value that a bilingual teacher or a teacher of color brings to the classroom. Having a student, you know, look at that teacher and say, you know what, it can be done, that I am represented here in this classroom, my culture is represented, I see it on the walls, I see it in the books that I read, I see it in the experiences that my teacher shares. What do these people bring to the teaching profession that maybe other other people who went a traditional route maybe don't or maybe many of them don't? I think one of the things is their disposition. They are a population of folks, and I would, I would say in general terms, that are just thankful to be there. Um, they have no sense of entitlement, and that is projected in, in their work ethic, uh, in their relationship with students, because they've been working typically in a classified role or in a role that is not sometimes respected. So they recognize not being maybe identified as someone that can bring something to the table. And so I think one of the things that, that they bring is that disposition, um, that attitude that, you know, in Spanish we say uh, luchar, you know, that, that fight of not giving up regardless of what they have on their plate, how overwhelmed they are just to keep on going forward and keep on having that struggle. What about you, Holly? I would say life experience. Like Guillermo mentioned, they're generally older. They've had, you know, one or two or three or four jobs. They already have a family. They have children. Maybe they've experienced education as a parent and what it's like to navigate the system as a parent. They see where there are opportunities for change. They want to change the experience for our, mainly our, our second language and language minority students. And, and that can be life-changing for a student. It really just creates a richness in the classroom that um, you might not get from a younger teacher. And I think another thing that's really valuable is that when they're in a classified role at a school site and students see them as the custodian or as a front office person, and then in a year, sees them as their teacher, as a teacher, that is so powerful. It's powerful for the community. It's powerful for the school. It's powerful for the students because they recognize that, you know, we all can do it at any point of our, of our career. And tell me about some of the people that you, uh, you know, that you've met through the program. Well, 
as you asked that question, I'm, I'm picturing all these folks in my head that went and I, and I know you've, you've talked to a couple. I remember vividly when, when we were at graduation with the first cohort and there was people, you know, cause we give them an opportunity to speak for about 30 seconds to a minute and share. And the amount of emotion that was on display, the amount of people that were there, family members and such supporting them. And they would tell me, you know, Guillermo, I, I didn't even think I could ever become a teacher. And I remember Cecilia Chang, she was a, a attendance clerk uh, in, in the front office. And she was from Korea, moved to South America, then moved to the United States, spoke Korean and, and Spanish and English. And she had older kids and she was later on in her, her life. And she says, yeah, Mike, I can't believe I'm going to be a teacher. And now this is their third year teaching. And, and there's so many people like that, that you could tell how much this impacted their lives, how much it was just change the trajectory of where they were going. Holly, you want to add anything? Actually, just recently, last night, in fact, um, I was doing a, a professional learning for our teachers that we hire for the summer, usually servicing mainly migrant students. And I saw one of my former San Diego State students in the Zoom. Her name is Miriam Rodriguez. And Miriam actually is from uh, or lived in Yuba County and was working in a factory. And she got wind of our services somehow and started taking our online courses and got connected with me because she's close to uh, Butte County. And we started having conversations about becoming a teacher. And, you know, before I knew it, she was in the credential program. And so she sent me an an email after the training last night and she just said, you know, I never thought I would move from working in a factory. I was always interested in education, always interested in kids, but I just couldn't leave the factory and go to school. I couldn't afford to, but because she, you know, became a paraprofessional and was working in the classroom, then she was able to stay in the classroom and complete her credential so she's earning money at the same time that she's able to complete her credential. And so that to me is just one of the examples of how our program creates that flexibility where you know we can still help you even if you need to work full-time at a school site, we wanna help you get your credential. That's how Alejandra Silva feels too. If it wasn't because of the grant, I probably would still be maybe just finishing up my credential right now, still trying to pass those tests that, oh my gosh, they, they were something else. Alejandra says in addition to being able to relate to her students, she also has an advantage being able to communicate with parents who speak Spanish. It's great to know that I can really involve them in just about anything and to open up that door so they can feel comfortable reaching out to me in whatever they, they need. I think a lot of the times in the monolingual classes, there's, there's always a, a barrier between home and school. As much as we try to minimize the barrier, there's always a barrier, but the language is a big one. So a lot of the times parents hesitate to communicate with the teacher because they feel like they don't, how? How will they be able to? And I'm probably saying this from experience because my parents were so involved up until elementary. Afterwards, as much as they tried, there was that language barrier. They couldn't do much because most of the faculty in my middle and high school only spoke English. And so like knowing that 
I can bring that comfort to parents. They can reach out to me whenever, in whatever language, I, I'll be there. In fact, Guillermo thinks parents are also an untapped resource. More future teachers in the making, right in the school's backyards. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, Getting to the Heart of California Schools, a production of EdSource. You can find my story at edsource.org. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to our guests, Alejandra Silva, Holly Harding, and Guillermo Castillo, and our director, Ann Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the Sobrato Family Foundation. I'm Zadie Stavely. Join me next week and subscribe so you won't miss an episode.